Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Later in my message, I'll refer to 1 Corinthians and two or three chapters, but in particular, chapter 15. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. The title of my message tonight is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Beginning with verse 14 of Romans 1. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now most of us have heard definitions of the gospel. In short, it means good news. It means glad tidings. It is a good message. So that's very brief definitions of the word gospel and of the gospel itself. The good news, a good message, glad tidings. Well, it has to be a good message of salvation. It has to be glad tidings re related to Jesus, the good news that Christ came. Yet it is obvious that some messages we hear are not too good. They have very little good in them. Others contain outright error and falsehood and false teaching. So just because something is a message doesn't mean it's the gospel. The good news as it relates to the teachings of Jesus Christ is the gospel. What is the essence of the gospel? Robert G. Lee, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee when I pastored there over 20 years ago. That's where I was when I came here to Jacksonville. He was the pastor. And I heard him preach. And he is known as the prince of preachers. He died just a few years ago, but one of the greatest preachers of all times. He described the gospel as an announcement, not an argument, a proclamation, not a problem, Good news, not good advice. Dr. Riddle said the gospel is the disclosure, the demonstration, and the donation of the free and unmerited love and mercy of God. It was disclosed at Bethlehem. It was demonstrated at Calvary. It was donated at Pentecost. Dr. Lee again commented, at Bethlehem, it was God with us. At Calvary, it was God for us. At Pentecost, it was God in us. So yes, the gospel is good news. Paul's grand assessment of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. He says this, Moreover, brethren, 
I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Verse 2. By which ye, are all, ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried, and that he rose again, the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, the twelve, above five hundred brethren at once, of James, all of the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also. Yes, Paul says the gospel is three things, or four things in reality. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Secondly, he was buried. Thirdly, he rose again. And finally, he was seen as proof positive that his power of resurrection was real and that we could trust in it. Verse 2 of this same passage tells us that the gospel, Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel, declares that it is a saving gospel, by which ye are saved, ye also are saved. What is the gospel? It's the means of our salvation. Ye are saved. To save us, the gospel must be preached, as we read in verse 1 and 2 of this passage. He says, Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached. And then in verse 2, he says, Keep in memory what I preached unto you. The gospel will not save people that never hear it preached. In order for the gospel to save anybody, it must be preached to them. They're lost in darkness and on their way to hell unless the gospel is preached to them. And so to save us, it must be preached. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, which we read earlier, says, It is the power of God unto salvation. People can't be saved without the power of God. If it's the power of God unto salvation, then there's no salvation without the power of God. Could you imagine anybody getting saved without the power of God? How do people get saved? Well, it's the power of God that saves them. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation. My friends, this is why we believe in missions. This is why we feel that we must get this gospel out to the ends of the earth. It is the only way men can be saved. Without the gospel, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they be saved without this gospel, this saving knowledge of Christ? Romans 10 verse 14 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? In verse 1 of this passage that we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, we note that it must be received. It doesn't save people automatically. The gospel is preached. My, we've got so many radio, gospel radio stations. I'm sure there's not another city in America that has any more gospel stations than Jacksonville, Florida does, especially if you take it on percentage of population. There, 
Every time I tell somebody about the gospel stations in Jacksonville, they can't believe it. They absolutely have never been anywhere in all of their travels. When I tell an evangelist or another preacher from another area about how many gospel stations, and hey, listen, we better thank God for it. You may not like some of them. Their music may be a little too country, and some may be too modern, some too contemporary, and some too a little bit dull or dry or something that you consider too sophisticated, but it touches somebody's heart. And I never have read in the Bible exactly what style of music God chose over others. And so while you may be prone to like one style above a, another, it doesn't mean that you ought to be against the other because it touches someone's heart. But what I'm saying is this. The gospel is going out in Jacksonville. My, it is going out by radio and by television. And it is going out in all the wonderful churches in this area. And yet sinners are going to hell. They listen faithfully. I go in some places of business where I know the men are reprobate sinners. And they got the, the, the radio tuned into a gospel station. And yet they're reprobate sinners. Hearing it doesn't save them. I want to tell you something tonight. The gospel must be received if it's going to save people. It's not just the hearing of it that saves people. It's the receiving of it. So it must be received. Verse 2, it must be kept in memory lest we have believed in vain. The gospel is powerful. It can save a person from the guttermost to the uttermost. It can lift the fallen sinner and plant his feet on higher ground. But it must be kept in memory. It is not something you can get and then go along and forget about. It must be kept in memory unless we have believed in vain. And then we notice in Romans 1.16 again, it is to everyone that believeth. The gospel is universal. It is not exclusively a product of America. In fact, it's not a product of America. Brother, we were granted this wonderful message by some missionary activity of those who came to this land to preach this gospel. And that's why in turn, we should be preaching it in other lands. And so if it had been confined to the place that it was first given, it would never have gotten out of Palestine and out of Asia Minor and other parts where Paul traveled and, and Rome where he wrote part of the gospel. And so then we are blessed indeed because it is a universal product. It is to everyone that believe it. Not only to those who have been brought up in Sunday school and in children's church and learn how to sing gospel songs and appreciate Sunday school classes, but it's to that reprobate that's never been inside of a church. It's to the person who has never done anything with the name of God but use it in blasphemous curse words. Thank God this gospel is to everyone that believeth. It encompasses all people of all ages and of all backgrounds. All they need to do is to hear this message and believe this message and accept this message. No one is excluded. Romans chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that we are preaching to pay a debt. We are debtors. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. The apostle Paul said he was out paying his debts. Now I believe that people ought to pay their just and honest debts. It's bad when people have to be hounded and tracked down 
and some agency put on them before they'll pay their debts. And Paul says, I'm a debtor. And God's not going to have to hound me. I'm ready to pay my debt. God isn't going to have to arrest me and drag me into court and threaten to throw me in jail. I am ready to preach the gospel. I am a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. Friends, God wants the church to be ready to fulfill its obligation. He wants you and me to be ready to pay our debt of preaching the gospel. An expanded translation by Kenneth Woost gives this version. I am a debtor in such a manner that to the extent of my ability, I am eager to proclaim the good news also to you who are in Rome. I am a debtor in such a manner that I am eager to proclaim this good news to you in Rome. I believe that should be the attitude we have, that we're not doing the Lord's work because we have to or because we're afraid not to, but rather because we're eager to do it. We're debtors, and therefore in order to pay that debt. Now the Bible tells us to owe no man anything except love, to love him. And greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. So our vocation is given to us by God. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, we are a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul said, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I'm not talking so much tonight about preaching as I am about the gospel and the property of the gospel and the responsibility that you and I as Christian people, I have a particular responsibility as a preacher. Paul did. And I'm using that to illustrate a point tonight. This property of the gospel is that we owe a debt to God and we owe a debt to our fellow man and we must preach this gospel. We must do our part as individual Christians and as a collective group to get this message out. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul said, I am appointed a preacher. Do you believe you're appointed a Christian and a worker and a, a worker in the vineyard tonight? In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said, Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is me. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, Christ hath enabled me and counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, He has called us with a holy calling. I'm trying to get across tonight the importance of getting this gospel out appreciating the properties of the gospel. And we are debtors, not only to God, I've been talking about our debt to God, but to our fellow man. Romans 13 verse 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, and we must love the lost sinners. Romans 1 14, he says, I'm a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. Now in verse 16 of Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the hardship and of the sufferings encumbered because of the gospel. And no man, I suppose, could boast of greater uh, hardships than the Apostle Paul in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me his prisoner. Don't be ashamed that your preacher is a jailbird. 
At this time, Paul was in jail. He was writing from behind prison bars. And he said, you must not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel. He spoke of his afflictions, of labors more abundant, stripes above measure, prisons more frequent, deaths often. Of Jews five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day in the deep. Journeyings often, perils of waters, perils of mine own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings, hunger and thirst, fastings, the cold and nakedness, and besides that, he said, I have the care of all the churches upon me. All of that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. And Paul said, we must not be ashamed of the affliction of the gospel, but rather be partakers of the affliction. Most of us know very little of inconvenience and hardship and difficulties and sacrifice. We know very little about fastings often, which he said he experienced. It's very difficult for us to discipline ourselves to fast. And these three days, tomorrow included, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, are days set aside for special fasting and prayer. It isn't easy to discipline the flesh to do that, but Paul said he did it oftentimes. We are seldom in peril of our countrymen or of the heathen or waters or shipwreck. We know very little of journeyings for the sake of the gospel. But he says, oftentimes I've journeyed for the gospel. We take journeys and vacations and trips, but it has very little to do with the gospel because we very seldom manage to give out a few tracts, much less witness to anybody on our journeys. But Paul was in journey, journeyings often for the gospel's sake. Because to him, he says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to God. I am a debtor to my fellow man. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. We must not be ashamed of the message of the gospel. What message? The greatest foundational truths in all the word of God is in the mainstream of fundamental Christianity. You must be born again, the inspiration of the scriptures, the deity of Christ, his virgin birth, his death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that he shed forth uh, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, these are truths that many, many Christians embrace. But in the assemblies of God, we have a distinctive testimony that you and I must never be ashamed of. And it's our distinctive message of the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. People must never wonder where we stand on this. We must never be ashamed of the gospel. It is part of the gospel. Jesus preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost. John preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul and Peter preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we must never be ashamed. You must never hang your head on the job, in your family, and, and business associates, anywhere you go. 
to Christians of other denominations, you must never be ashamed of the distinctive testimony of the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it is part of the gospel. You must never be ashamed of the distinctive teaching and testimony and doctrine and reality of divine healing. Thank God. While some have made it a profiteering thing and, and gained a lot of money by preaching the gospel or preaching a message and they have used it as a meal ticket, that doesn't mean that we should deny it or that we should be ashamed of the healing message itself because it's real. There are some who would make a, a profiteering venture over anything. And certainly when they see that people's need is so great, it's easy for them to capitalize on people's need and use divine healing as a meal ticket because you'll attract a crowd if you promise people that you can heal the sick. But friends, we must still preach healing. We must lay hands on the sick. We must pray for healing. We must teach our children to pray for the sick. We must lay hands on our children. We must have prayer in our family and in our Sunday school and in Royal Rangers and Missionettes. We once had a family attending our church who was so afraid that their children was going to get too much of the Pentecostal message that they even volunteered to work in the particular age levels where their children were so that they could protect them from this Pentecostal message. And yet, they wouldn't leave the church because they knew it was real. And in case they got in trouble, they wouldn't be able to call on, on the church for help. Strange. <laughs> but they were ashamed of this message. Ashamed of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ashamed of speaking in tongues. Ashamed of divine healing. I am not ashamed of the gospel, he said. We must not be ashamed of our salvation emphasis of being saved. Being born again. In some churches, they don't talk about being saved. They talk about receiving Christ or believing on Christ. And I'm sure that we understand that scriptural terminology. But being saved is also. Being born again is also. It's the kind of language Jesus used. And therefore, I believe that we must never be ashamed of our distinctive testimony that we believe people ought to have a crisis experience of being born again. It's something that they should experience, not merely giving mental assent to, not simply agreeing with it, but accepting it and experiencing it. Many people believe in it, but they're not saved. Even the devil believes in it. But my friends, he's lost. And I'm telling you, you must have the experience in order to be saved. We must never be ashamed of our distinctive testimony of believing in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rapture of the church. It doesn't matter what some very popular teachers are saying today about uh, the church going through the tribulation and that the, there's not going to be a rapture for the saints of God. You must never be ashamed that you're looking for Jesus to come back at any moment for the rapture of the church. It is a scriptural truth. It's part of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed. I don't care what great man in America and how popular he is with the masses of people, that doesn't move me one bit. It's what this Bible says that I'm standing on and I'm looking for Jesus to come tonight. Praise God. I believe he could come at any moment. We must never deny the imminent return of Jesus Christ because it's going to happen whether we deny it or not. 
is going to take place, and we better be ready in case it's tonight. We must never be ashamed of the coming of the Lord. We must never be ashamed of our distinctive message of practical Christian living and sanctification and holiness. Many think that we don't believe in sanctification because we do not teach that it is, quote and unquote, a second definite work of grace. We believe it's a definite work. It may not necessarily be a second work because it could be a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and a hundredth. But we believe it's instantaneous. At the moment we get saved, we're sanctified from our past sins. And then we are progressively sanctified day by day from the present temptations and, and problems the flesh has to cope with. We didn't get it all at one time by tearing at the altar for sanctification until we got one crisis experience called a second definite work. But we believe that we must die daily. And most people who claim to be entirely sanctified, if you stick them with a pen, they lose it short enough, uh, for a short enough period of time to tell you off and then they regain it right quick. <laughs> and most people who claim to be entirely sanctified have still got temper problems and have still got uh, many other problems that, that would be wrong for us to just sit here in judgment about. But what you and I know is this, you need it and I need it. And we need to seek God for a constant, continual cleansing from our present temptations and our brush with the world. We were sanctified from all of our past sins when Jesus covered us with his blood. But we are being sanctified from our association with the world as we, by the power of the Holy Ghost and the word of God and the blood of Jesus, daily appropriate God's promises. Jesus told his disciples, said, I want to wash your feet. And Simon Peter said, not mine. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me whatsoever. He said, Jesus, give me a whole bath. He said, you don't need a whole bath. He that is washed needeth only save to wash his feet. Because the feet were sandals. Uh, were, were he was only wearing sandals and the dust would get his feet dirty. And he says, I'm not interested in having a public shower when we get together this way, but I do want to wash your feet. And there's a lesson that I'm going to teach you, Simon Peter. First of all, we must serve one another. We must be one another's servants. That's what foot washing teaches. And then secondly, we need to daily have a cleansing from all the things that attach themselves to our life as we're going through this world. And there's a lot of dust, and there's a lot of things around us that wants to settle on us, but by the power of the Spirit and through the cleansing blood and through the Word of God, we're daily cleansed and drawn nearer and nearer. And we sing it, and it's a beautiful hymn in our songbook. Draw me nearer, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, Lord, to thee. And that should be our prayer tonight. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We must not allow anything to intimidate us or to make us hang our heads or be embarrassed about the claims that are scriptural, that are in this book, because, my friends, this is the way of life. Paul says, through this preaching of the gospel, you're saved if you keep in memory those things which I've preached unto you. Praise God.